Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Turn with me to the book of John. And uh, thank you, Mandy, again for reading God's Word. I love it when God's Word gets an applause. That is the appropriate response to the reading of God's Word. We're going to continue on in our series called Christ Complete. Um, And it's maybe a bold statement, but it is key that we understand that, that a greater picture, the greater we understand who Jesus is, the better God can be at work um, doing that work in us to reflect him. Um, and as I was reading and reading through the book of John, again, those first 13 chapters before we get to where we're going to pre- um, open today, I just noticed the paradox that Jesus often appears in or appears as a paradox. You know, two seemingly opposing things that are true at the same time. If you read through the Gospels and specifically John, you see Jesus' encounter with people in an incredibly humble and meek way. You know, he, he anonymously takes away the shame of the bridegroom at the wedding in Cana. The woman caught in adultery, he stoops down into the sand with her. The man born blind along the roadside, Jesus stops his, what he was doing and goes and humbly comes, goes and heals him, goes back even to heal him. But you also read through the gospel that there, Jesus is, there's absolutely no modesty in his speech. Humble is in interactions with people, but no modesty in his speech. He reads, he goes into the synagogue, reads the scroll of Isaiah, puts it away and says, that's been fulfilled in your hearing. That's fairly bold, isn't it? Multiple times he declared his oneness with the Father. All the way through the book of John, he says, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. Truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And at that statement the crowd picks up stones to stone him. And when asked to tell him plainly, if you're the Christ, Jesus answered, it's me, it's I that give eternal life. I and the Father are one. No modesty in his speech. And as we've looked at all of these, all the I am statements of Jesus, they all have that definite article, the Now, I slept through most of English class, and I skipped most of French class, which has even more definite and indefinite articles. But the leaves no room, no wiggle room. It's very specific. It's very definite, as the name describes. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Not a good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the gate. And here, in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Radically exclusive claims of Jesus. But I'm hoping that we'll see today also the wonderfully inclusive nature of who Jesus is as well. Radically exclusive and wonderfully inclusive. 
Because with his exclusive truth claims, he doesn't give us an option to just simply like Jesus. God doesn't, Jesus does not give us the option. When you make an exclusive claim like he did and does still today, that he is the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, he doesn't give us the option to simply like him. His claims are controversial and problematic in that they can't be dismissed or ignored. They do require a response from us. We either have to embrace those claims or reject them. We either have to crown him as king or, as they did 2,000 years ago, kill him. He doesn't give us the option to simply like him when you make exclusive claims like that. As C.S. Lewis famously said, when you look at all that Jesus said and claimed, he could either be a liar, a lunatic, or truly Lord. And I love how the part I have underlined in my Bible and many of us that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, came as response to a question. God bless Thomas. Really. Because he's, he's there with all the rest of the disciples. And I can picture, have you ever been in a group of people and somebody says something, somebody, and, and you're like, I don't really understand what he says. But you look around and like nobody else is saying that they don't understand. That's okay, I'll just go along and we'll figure it out, we hope. This is far too important for that and Thomas gets that. He's like, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? Thomas, and he says, how can we, we don't know, so we, how could we possibly get there? He makes himself the spokesperson for the other disciples. God bless Thomas. And can I say, if you're sitting here this morning with an inquiry for Jesus, Jesus will answer your questions. There's evidence there. Jesus will answer your question. If you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know what he claims and whether or not it's true, can I encourage you, implore you even, inquire of Jesus and he will answer. And this is a word I believe for all of us, but I think maybe particularly for some, the context is Jesus demonstrates his compassion and his mercy and his kindness The context is he is preparing for the disciples for his departure. And multiple times he says, let not your heart be troubled. If you're sitting here this morning and there are things going on in your world that are particularly troubling. Jesus has a word for you. And that is he is the way, the truth and the life. Let not your heart be troubled. So let's, I'm really thankful as a preacher, God has given us three points there, the way, the truth, and the life. So we're just going to unpack those. There's a lot of things we, in this passage of scripture we could get into, but I want to look at that specifically as part of our series around Christ complete. So the way. Every religious system, every religious theory claims to know the way. A path to know God or to reach God or to please God. They all have a program and a plan. 
But if you look at any religion in the world, it all comes down to your and my performance. The do's and the do nots are the most important thing. Much more important even than the person that is proclaiming the plan or the program. But Jesus says, I am the way. Not do this and don't do this. Simply, I am the way. Jesus is not a prophet or a sage or a guru that simply points the way. He says he is the way. That's why Jesus doesn't give us five pillars or four noble truths and an eightfold path, nor does he give us 613 um, right ways to be righteous and maintain our righteousness. He is the way. The way is a person. Much, much different than a path or a program or a plan. Jesus says, I am the way. Because all the systems of religion all where salvation and fullness is all based on your effort. Your ability to keep the rules and stay on the path. And because it's all based on our effort, there's absolutely zero assurance that you'll get to your destination. None. No assurance. No rock-solid hope that you'll get to your destination. But Jesus says... I am the way. The way is a person. He says to the disciples and he says to us, you believe in God, believe also in me. An illustration for us. If you've traveled somewhere and uh, a a foreign city or even just a city you've not been to here in New Zealand, um, and have you ever stopped to ask directions? Men, I know that that doesn't happen to us, but I mean, some ladies, you might have been in, you might have been in the car, husbands with your wife, and your wife stopped to ask directions. We don't ask directions very often, do we? But play along with me, please. Stop and ask directions to 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 find a local church, for example, and you find somebody on the side of the road, and they go, "Oh yeah." So what you want to do is go straight ahead for three blocks, and when you get to the petrol station, turn left. And then go down to the second fish and chip shop, not the first one because their chips are always oversalted. And and then and then when you get to that second fish and chip shop, turn right, go down a few more blocks, and you should be there. The way is described for you, but getting to your destination is a hundred percent dependent upon your effort, your ability to decipher the instructions and follow them accurately. And who knows, it's highly unlikely that you're going to find that church on time. You're going to get lost. Now contrast that with a person that you ask for directions somewhere. And they go, oh yeah, well actually I'm going there myself. I can show you the way. Come with me. No longer are you focused on the number of blocks that you've traveled. If you hadn't smelled it, you wouldn't even notice you passed one fish and chip shop, let alone two. The way is no longer a set of instructions that you have to follow, but a person that you're in relationship with. Success of reaching your destination is no longer 100% dependent upon your effort. Success is about remaining connected to the person that is the way. 
That's why as a church, our mission is unapologetically we gather around Jesus Christ. Before we grow up into him, before we go and do what he says, we gather around Christ. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the way. It's about maintain, being, coming into and maintaining a relationship with Christ Jesus. Because he is the way. The next radical, exclusive claim Jesus makes is that he is the truth. Psalm 43 verse 3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. The Old Testament, the psalmist wanted to know the truth of God. We all want to know truth. Pilate famously asked Jesus, what is truth? And in our late modern philosophy and world we live in and the water we swim in, people want to know, how can I know the truth? When anybody see the video for the St. Paul's and notice um, Dave Campbell's new Spanish accent. That's 100% AI. Available in three minutes. For free. Wonderful tool, but then you go, oh, how can I know that that's true? Is Dave, like, apparently his French is with a Canadian accent, so I claim some influence for that. But it's remarkable. So we ask, well, what is truth? Well, surely we want to know that what is true that can be proven that has some substance of consistent evidence. Jesus claimed divinity in claiming, I am the truth. Prophets, sages, wise men that were sent in the past, in the past all claimed to tell the truth or to point to the truth. Many could claim that I'll teach you the truth. But none claimed that they are the truth. Jesus is the only one that embodied the truth. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 1 verse 14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Truth took on flesh. Truth incarnate in Christ Jesus. Now the word there is, the original Greek word is logos. The truth, the center. The reason under the reason for everything. That became flesh and dwelled amongst us in Christ. It's how Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The proof of Jesus' claim is in his life, his full life. Again, by way of example, imagine if you were someone teaching geometry and physics and how to conjugate Spanish vowels, your character wouldn't really affect your message. Math is math. 
Chemistry is chemistry. Spanish, the conjugation of Spanish vowels are, is the conjugation of Spanish vowels, whether or not you have any kind of moral character at all. Yes? You can still trust your Spanish teacher, even if he doesn't have good morals. But imagine a teacher that taught on purity, but that was an adulterer. Or someone that claimed to teach on generosity, but was greedy. Or someone that claimed to teach on love, but was vengeful and unforgiving. The character affects the message. The proof, if you will, is in the pudding. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof of the truth is in the living out of what one claims to teach and to believe. Jesus says, I've not simply taught you the truth. I've shown you the truth. I am the truth. It's amazing when Jesus spoke, the crowd said, how is it that he speaks with such authority, not like the others? Not just knowing the truth, but it's like he is the truth. And Jesus himself said that the work, his works authenticated his message. They proved his claims. They proved his claims. Jesus could not have done what Jesus did if he wasn't God. Jesus in verse 11 of chapter 14 says, Believe on account of the works themselves. They authenticate his message of being the truth. Now it is radically exclusive to claim that Jesus is the truth. It always has been. We think again in 2023, like, oh, well, things have got particularly challenging to claim that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Well, that was true of the first and um, century Christians as well. The Jews persecuted the Christians because they claim, because Jesus claimed to be God. The Romans set Christians on fire and sent them into the Colosseum because they claimed the exclusivity of Jesus as God. He alone is the only way to the Father. We live in a, in a day and age where, again, truth is allegedly, allegedly relative. I say alleged because it's not. The truth is the truth. And we will continue to potentially be ostracized and even ridiculed to claim that there is only one way to God. But it's not our claim It's Jesus' claim. We're not claiming an exclusive truth that is only ours to know, but we are simply repeating and standing on the reality that Jesus is the one and backed it up to say that he is the truth. And can I say his full life demonstrates it. He says, if if, if I wasn't going ahead of you to prepare a space for you, I wouldn't have told you. But he is the only one who has gone ahead, gone through death and out the other side to eternal life. He is the only one that indeed has been resurrected never to die again. His fullness of life testifies to his truth claim. He said he would go ahead and prepare a place. Dead people don't prepare places. Only live people do. Jesus is alive. 
and his promise to come back and take us there one day. His full life is a proof of his truth. Two things, two last things on that. We live in a, in a pluralistic society, like say, who again claims that truth is relative. And it's, evolved, it's come about in the last probably 50 years that this, why can't we all get along and, and, and every religion just simply has a different viewpoint on God. The people that would say that would say there is no absolute truth. That, but that we're all simply holding on to a different part of the elephant. I don't know if you've ever heard that metaphor before. And the person that's holding on to the trunk, well, maybe they believe that God is, is more like a hose. And the person holding on to the leg feels like God is more like a tree. And the person holding on to the tail, like, well, God is more like a, uh, a rope. And the person, st- and, but the person that's claiming that we all just are, are worshiping the same God and going in the same direction, they're claiming a position in themselves that they're standing far enough back that they can see the whole elephant. They're making an exclusive truth claim that there is no exclusive truth. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Only Jesus said and demonstrated that he is the truth. And can I encourage you? I know many of us are having conversations with people that are, that, that, and you might be sitting in this room like, well, how do I know that Jesus is the truth? What, how do I measure? What are some measurable things around worldviews and claims? Four things. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where, where does that truth originate from? Where, where does it, how does it explain our, our own origin? How does it produce meaning? How does that view and that belief produce meaning in the world, in the big picture and individually? What kind of morality does it produce? Does it genuinely lead to human flourishing? And where is its destiny? Where is it going? There's more we can chat about that. But if you want to be, if you're sitting down or if you're sitting here today wrestling with, how do I know? Well, look at the claims of Christ. Look at the claims of every other program and plan that claims to know a way. And you can trust Jesus as the way and the truth. And Jesus makes his final, well, in this statement, the claim that Jesus says, I am the life. All through the Old Testament, if you look and read, the psalmist especially says, show me the path of life. All of human history, we have desired to know life. John 1 verse 4, in him, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of man. To be human is to be on a quest, leaning forward in search of life. That is what it means to be human. Because God created us, our very nature as human beings, he created us for eternal life. Go back to the book of Genesis. In the garden, God permitted mankind to eat the fruit of the tree of life. It was always his intention. 
He has placed eternity in the heart of man. We have always desired, it's an innate desire in all of humankind. And that source of life, because of God's great grace, has come and revealed himself to us in Christ. Jesus is the life because he gives us access to the Father. That's the source of life. The creator of all is the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But Jesus is the life because he is the only way to the Father, the source of all life. God in his great love and grace has come in Christ to restore that which was lost through the disobedience of the first Adam. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, please. I'm going to read from verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual... But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The first Adam is how we all came to original sin and inherited death. And in Christ, the new Adam, the one who is the life, we indeed are born of him and will reflect him. Jesus says, I am the life. When we, when we meet Jesus, we, we, we kind of have to stop singing one of our favorite U2 songs. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because when we find Jesus, we find life. The quest of all human hearts and humankind is for life. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. As Augustine, the fourth century theologian put, he said, God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He is the source of life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Radically exclusive. No room for, for just being a fan of Jesus. You have to find yourself on one side of that exclusive claim or another. But I hope you can also see the wonderful inclusivity. God in his grace tells us why he had John write the book of John. John chapter 20 verse 31 says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by 
believing. By believing, you may have life in his name. Do you see how wonderfully inclusive that is? It's not by doing. It's not by being good enough. It's not by knowing enough. It's not by sacrificing enough. It's by believing. All by grace through faith in Christ. Not through our own effort. Not through what I've achieved. Not through what I've found. It's accessible to all. Everyone. Doesn't matter your family. Doesn't matter your education. Doesn't matter your social status. Your ethnicity. Your tribe. Your language. It does not matter about your past behavior. How wonderfully inclusive by believing. All are welcome. Jesus says the house where he's going to prepare a place has many rooms. Room for all. And he will return to take us there. The belief is faith in God and faith in Christ. There's no other name under heaven. But it's why the gospel is good news. It's radically exclusive and wonderfully inclusive. It is an announcement, not a list of instructions. It's not a list of must-dos and must-don'ts. Rather, a declaration of what Christ has already done. Not climb this mountain to achieve righteousness, but Jesus says, here I am at the foot of, a mount, foot of the mountain, already righteous. You might be here today and have never believed in Jesus for your salvation. Never trusted in his life as your life. Never submitted yourself to the truth of who he is. I'm going to ask you to be bold this morning and to acknowledge that before me. Can I ask us to close our eyes, please? If you've never submitted your life to Christ, and as I've been speaking and as the word has been read, you say, I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And you want to receive Christ this morning. Can I ask you to put your hand up? That's all right. I assume then everyone else here is either bent our walking with Jesus or are still on a journey towards him. But the wonderful truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life as being radically inclusive is that it does make us, as followers of Christ, as people of the way, it makes us the most compassionate and humble people on the planet. It does. Now I confess I don't always behave like the most compassionate and humble people person on the planet, but the gospel does because it's radically exclusive and 
wonderfully inclusive. Because none of it, none of the reality of who God is and my position before him is dependent upon me. It's all by his grace. Can I invite you to your feet, please, if you're able to? And I'm going to read Titus 3. And I'm trusting that the Spirit of God will be at work in your heart as he was in mine as, as I read this, reminding us of the reality of who Jesus is and how it is that we're in relationship with the Father because of who he is. And maybe there'll be some business that you need to do with God from this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is indeed life to us. And Lord, for each one of us that are marked by you and called by your name, we confess afresh, Lord, that you, Jesus, are indeed the way, the truth, and the life. We confess afresh, Lord, our dependence and our trust and our incredible thankfulness to your mercy and grace in saving us, in taking the just punishment for our sin and restoring us to a right place with the Father. Oh, Jesus, we praise you and the Father for sending us the Spirit that is indeed at, at work in us to will and to act according to your great purpose. We ask, Jesus, won't you indeed continue to do that work as only you can for your glory, for your namesake, Indeed, for our eternal good and the eternal good of those that you want to impact through our lives. We extol you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen.